Yeah, look, dude, there's beauty in the grind. I talk about this with my leadership and with the sellers. This is where like the best memories are made. It hurts the most. It's like learning, it's really hard. I mean, that's where the beauty, that's where like diamonds get made. And the people that you do that with early on in a startup, it's a special bond because you've gone through the fire together. You come in and, and you just start grinding. And the way that we look at it is from a value perspective is like, how can we get someone's interest enough to spend a few minutes with us? You know, we can hit on something that's really valuable to them. How do I get that across in a way that'll catch their attention so they'll just give me three, five more minutes? This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, 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 revealers. You got the Rev, Danny Wasserman, back in the Gong Studios for another outstanding zinger of an episode. Today, we've got Adam Ahrens, Chief Revenue Officer at Drata. This guy has seen some incredible moments in B2B SaaS selling, having spent quite a bit of time and rising meteorically, no less, at Okta, then going on to be an advisor before stepping back into a day-to-day sales role at Drata. He's going to talk to us about a lot of things, but interestingly enough, he's going to talk about what does it take to break through the impasse between sales and marketing, yes, oftentimes misunderstood, oftentimes vilified with finger pointing. Well, Adam is here to talk about how successful salespeople have to be in spite of whatever efforts marketing makes, in spite of whatever assets they're given, they still have to be front and center with their customers to acutely understand customer pain and what really resonates with them. And that isn't because marketing is incompetent. Hardly, no. A good marketing leader will pair really nicely with the likes of Adam to give something to the sales organization, fully baked and fully willing to recognize that it will be iterated on. It will be tweaked and massaged so that sellers who are the ones customer facing with those assets, that they can sound authentic. They can be their true and natural selves in their own individualized voice. So, amigos, amigas, sit back, relax, as you hear the unbridled, refreshingly honest take from Adam Ahrens talking about marketing and sales together, as well as just the sheer resilience and determination it takes to grind through the profession that is sales. DJ, spin that. Ladies and gents of Reveal, welcome back to the Gong Studios. Today, joined by someone who has been in the room where if those walls could talk, I suspect any of us as listeners, as students of the game, would pay a king's ransom to study. Because when I tell you this individual has seen the history of sales shaped, I don't believe that that is an overstatement. Talking with us today is none other than Adam Ahrens. Currently... CRO of Drata, but having had stints on the front lines as a seller, he's carried the bag, had an absolutely epic Hollywood finish, taking, you ready for this, Okta over the finish line for their 2017 IPO as their CRO, and has since gone on to advise, consult, but is now leading the next wave of what compliance technology can do for you at Drata. Adam, there's a multitude of topics that I would want to bend your ear on, but first and foremost, welcome to Reveal. Thanks, Danny. That's probably the biggest Hollywood introduction that I've ever had. I feel so special. 
I'm hoping that all of our guests are just juiced up when they come out of the Reveal Gong Studios and then leave it to their kids, their family, or their friends to bring them back down to earth. But my job, I'm just a hype guy. Should we just I'm, end I'm, here? I love the hype, baby. Now let's roll. I love the hype. Let's all right. Go. Let's keep it buzzing. So a lot of questions that we could start with. The topic for today that I'm really interested about. So I listened to your interview with John McMahon. And for those who don't know John, obviously the Morpheus, the Wizard of Oz, the Oracle of Sales, went on to write the Qualified Sales Leader, oftentimes credited as being the godfather of medic. You have a personal relationship with John. I do not actually yeah. want to talk about that today because I think there's so much content already. But I have to think that o- over the course of your time knowing John and just being your own CRO, you've learned not just how to effectively manage sales teams, but how to manage sales teams that partner really well with cross-functional teams. So for today, I want to unpack, if you'd allow us, how do you play simpatico with marketing? And for listeners who are on this episode today, perhaps you yourself have struggled with tenuous or in fact, antagonistic relationships with marketing. They stigmatize sellers as being arrogant, brash, egomaniacs that never actually hit their leads. And that's infuriating. And then we look as a former seller at marketing, be like, what the hell are they writing on those decks? They're so tone deaf. This is phony. This is absolute crap. Those stigmas exist and I'm not legitimizing either of them. But in your time, you've achieved peace. You've brokered healthy partnerships. Let's talk about what it is that you did to overcome those stereotypes and perhaps preconceived notions. Yeah, I like it. Now I know that they exist. I don't think I've lived them much as a CRO. Yeah. But I know they're out there. And I pride myself on the marketing relationships that I've got and that the people I work with, they're awesome. Cool. So when you come in either at the genesis of a company, I mean, you were so early at Okta. I'm wondering, did you inherit a relationship that was already healthy? Did it even exist? Did you start it? We'd love to give our listeners kind of Adam's playbook for if you find yourself today in at times a less than stellar, less than ideal dynamic between sales and marketing, what can I do? Or if I'm going to build my own company, same is true. Yeah, look, I, I did. I came in Okta really early. I was like employee number 37 at the wow. time, 55th all, all time, I think. So yeah. we were less than a million dollars in revenue and we were just figuring it out. Yeah. So Eric Berg, who ran marketing that at that point, it was under product marketing. And then Eric went on to lead product marketing for Okta for a long time. Um, had some, we had to work together, like just to go figure it out. Like at those points of go to market, you're like, okay, we've got product market fit. What's our ICP look like? How yep. are we going to price this thing? Not just for now, but for the future. How do we take that, you know, t- together to market and that messaging? And it's a struggle. Like it's there. It's a grind, uh, especially early on for an early on CRO and head of marketing. And yeah. um, Eric had a great um, lieutenant in a guy named Ryan Carlson who ended up being the CMO at Okta um, through grind, through just pure grit and grind. And we kind of came up together. Uh, it was my first CRO gig and mm-hmm. he became the CMO maybe 18 months after I we started together. He came as the director of marketing yeah. and then got promoted. And in that time, we hired like three different heads of marketing um, that we went through in 18 months. Wow. And it was like, yeah, it was tumultuous, like to say, like it was turbulent to say the least. Yeah. And I guess in the dynamics of whether you're a sales-led organization or a marketing-led organization, this whole buzz around PLG, talk to me in the success you've achieved. Where does the buck stop? Because it can be 
I think, confusing if you attempt to be equally democratic, that someone has to have the nuclear vote. So walk us through the pecking order where, again, if we play up the stereotypes, oh, God, sales, you guys don't know your ass from your front. Leave the one-liners to us. Leave the decks to us. And you're like, this reeks of phoniness. Who ultimately has the swing vote to determine well, how you guys I go to market? My guys are in the field. We're taking those decks and we're building them the way that we want to anyways. Like, I mean, okay. that might sound criminal, but it's just true. Like everybody's deck is a little bit different okay. and you can't homogenize it off the marketing message. And depending on, especially early on in a company, if you're in commercial or you're in enterprise, we're taking that message and then we're playing it out with our customers and the best marketing leaders that I've worked with take a strong onus on listening to the customer and trying to figure out like, Hey, like don't go in a lab and write a book on how to go put together messaging. Go talk to your best customers. They're the best advocates. They'll even tell you like where you can get the most value out of the book. They'll tell you how to price it because uh, they want you to be successful. And so figuring that out, it, we'll do it on the field. It's really about what's that collaboration mechanism back into marketing. And then can we work together to refine it? But you see like, who's got the nuclear vote? I don't know at the executive table, really yeah. great CMOs are going to report to the CEO and really great CROs are as well. And depending on your relationship, your experience, yeah. I, I don't think there should be a nuclear vote there. I think it's either like we come to a peaceful conclusion and we move forward together. It can be violent to get there, but we come to a conclusion together and then we're rolling. Like, yeah, that's it. We're going to roll together and I'll go with it. Good, good, bad or indifferent. What I tell the CEO and the CMO in that moment is she need to understand why. So give me the why so that I can walk out of this and I, I'll get my head around. I got to get behind it one way. If you can't give me the why, that can be an area where, and, and again, it's not nuclear ops. I have to make a decision around like, am I getting confidence in the C-level room? Am I getting like the level of um, partnership that I need from not just the CMO, but the CEO and as a, as an, a collective group? I appreciate the insight that you offered, which is CMOs can offer a very baked, a very ready to ship deck, but shouldn't hold on to it so tightly, so fiercely, so militantly. I think the word you used was so it's homogenized across the entire team, but should in fact celebrate the adaptations and the iterations that people on your team are naturally going to do irrespective of whatever the mandate is. So I don't want to bastardize or distort the, the lesson, but if I hear it correctly, it's a really savvy marketing leader will get it as far as they can possibly take it. And inevitably, your team will still tug on it. It will be refined into what feels even more authentic, not just because marketing was off base, but because they have their own voice and they need to feel human. And that's going to happen. Yeah, it's different by rep. Like I'll take the deck and I'll, I'll move slides around and say my head talking through that goes a different direction. And then yeah. But, you know, you have tools like Gong where you can watch film. And so it's it, it's not like we get away with it. In, in the olden days, you would take decks and you'd go out into customers and it was just you and your manager. And then you'd come back with the feedback. Now there's game film all over the place to watch it. So yeah. it, it brings it more to the forefront faster. It's like, you know, it's really just about having that partnership to say, hey, we're, we need to iterate. We need to iterate regularly and quickly around messaging, especially in an early stage startup, things change weekly. They change monthly, like it major changes. And so you just need to stay on top and you need to have a good partnership. You've led teams in the era of game footage. 
You've led teams before we had all that insight and visibility. Talk to us a little bit about when we didn't have that empirical knowledge that something like revenue intelligence provides. How did you course correct? How did you pivot? Because you don't want to necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater. But if you're not getting the signals you need instantaneously, when do you determine in conjunction with your marketing leaders when to scrap a plan versus when to like double yeah, down? And say, yeah. I'm on the front line. I'm in those accounts. I'm in those forecasts. When I hear there's big deals, I get in those deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I spent my life on an airplane. So yeah. I think like in my prime, I was traveling like 260 days plus wow. a year. Uh, okay. I was Marriott Platinum for life by the time I was 40. So like, and I was commuting from San Diego to San Francisco five days a week for Okta. And I still made Platinum by the time I was four. Like I was just on the road. all. So and it wasn't just like with direct reps. It was meeting with the leadership and because as, as you scale as a leader, right, it's it's not you got to be able to, to ratchet that up to the second, third line level and above. And the way that you do that is it's different. But still, like we live in a bubble as like sea level leaders. And you, in order to get out of it, you got to get into the field. You've got to go like experience it. In my opinion, I always say, like, I can't be uh, empathetic to your plight if I can't understand, like, see what's going on. So you arrive at Okta at its infancy. And you guys are at this point fairly convinced you have product market fit. But from the six years of you being there, obviously your ICP, or for folks that don't know that, that's the ideal customer profile. It evolves to achieve when you rang the bell, the hundreds of millions of dollars in AR that you were getting to. And then since then, it's obviously gone on to gross over a billion. You don't get to a billion on one ICP. So talk to us about in the early stages versus as you evolve, how do you really zero in on this is who are buyers at this stage? And then as time evolves, how do you then tap marketing to bring in additional personas that you're going to want to target? Yeah, I think it's about who you are today and who you want to be tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. It's like growing up and it's knowing that there's going to be different phases of life that you're going to have to go through, through different teener years. But like, if you still have an idea, like you have an ideal customer profile on who it is today, and I talk about like having partnership and being able to iterate because that can change like that. When you bring out, you know, first you have a product, then your product has features, then those features become modules, then those modules become suites, right? Yeah. You start to then extend the product and you start to have different parts of your product that can serve different personas within your ICPs. And so how you talk to that, depending on like, they'll come different points in time where like you'll say, are we selling to the same economic buyer? And then the question is, do you continue with the same sales team or do you create two to go after them? But for us, like my experience at Octa and what the goal with Octa was we had, you know, less than 50 customers and we were wanting to go to the enterprise. Most of them were small to medium cloud companies. And the idea yeah. was, hey, you know, you're going to come in and often like that's what you'll get as a leader. We want you to take us up market. We want you to, we think we got the ice. Now we want to go attack it. But who we were at that time was we were selling to startups, small software companies, medium size. And we, as we were starting to build out the motion of, Hey, we know who we want to be. I used to say like who we are is what pays the bills every day. It's what keeps the lights on. It's what pays the mortgage. Who you want to become is like when you take those shots to send your kids to college. It's like, we're only going to, when we figure out like we can become good at that and we'll build a muscle where we're like, that works. And now we, you know, we'll try. And again, we're bringing that feedback through marketing and working together on the messaging. We're like, Hey, this is something we can duplicate. This is something we can go do again. 
you start to realign your ICP if you have a good marketing leader. Operations, by the way, play such a key role in the middle of all of this. So like if you're the, you know, the quarterback or the wide receiver, this is the offensive coordinator that's sitting in like if operations isn't involved, just things don't happen. There's too much going on in the day job of marketing and of sales and the cross coordination can get lost without great marketing partners and leadership. And so I think like when you when you look at that, you've got really good sales um, traction and then you're seeing changes. You see signals in the noise that actually started with zero to 100 employee companies. We called it emerging markets. Mm-hmm. We then had a commercial market, which was 100 to 1,000. And then enterprise was 1,000 and above. And this is employee sizes, yeah. right? That's where we started. And we had the bulk of our sellers in zero to 100. And then as we got bigger, and by the way, these segmentations changed over time as we continued to see signals in the noise of the market. Yeah. And I'd be looking at that consistently with my operations partners and then pulling in marketing where we would see signals in the noise and finance and say, hey, we want to reevaluate how we're doing what we're doing. And that whole strategy, though, was built on the fact that we knew that we were young and we wanted to grow up to be big, strong, healthy people. And in order to do that, like we had a vision for it, but we knew like, OK, we're like we're good enough now that we can, you know, we can take that. And we're like, you know, in our late youth and now we can do more. We can play sports. You become yeah. a teenager and it's like, all right, now you can you're becoming more of an adult and you've got to yeah. go through. Period. And, you know, once you hit adulthood, like I, now I want to be a good person and I want to be able to to do things in a really good. I want to be the best that I can be. And I think that evolution and you talk about like growing and your ICP growing, it's it's a vision and a reality. It's like, yeah. OK, this is who we want to be. Here's who we are. And then like, how do I get from being prepubescent mm-hmm. to like my teen years? And what's that going to take from the product, from the marketing motion, from all these different pieces that you put together? The absence of setbacks results in failure. Can you believe that? Wait, what? I need setbacks in order to succeed? Yeah, the TLDRs, you do have to fail to succeed. And it's especially true for those early stage startups. Get this, those startups that pivot once or twice have 3.6 times better growth than startups who never redirect. That's according to FounderJar. Entrepreneurship is surely known for being challenging and uncomfortable. But what this translates to is founders over-preparing and striving for perfection before they've ever reached product market fit, let alone even entered the market. I'm paraphrasing what Adam touches on, but the pivots that we have to go through as we bumble our way from adolescence into maturity, it's those pivots that teach entrepreneurs what works and what doesn't. In turn, all of that iterative thinking fosters adaptability and resilience. So the next time you face a challenge, either as a co-founder or an individual contributor, the next time you encounter that obstacle, and if it results in redirection, rest knowing that that's just increasing growth as you overcome the setbacks inherently part of being in the world of business. Enough from me, back to Adam to hear a little bit more from his winning playbook. So Adam, you talk about this evolution from infancy through adolescence and then into maturity. And along the way, you continue to add more robust systems in between marketing and sales and that conduit, which is ops. 
And ideally, right, at the point of maturity, you land and you have some KPIs or some indicators that everything is flowing really naturally and fluidly through the system. And maybe that manifests itself in our marketing machine is just cranking out leads. We're bringing in so much inbound demand because of how we are branded and marketed in the space that we operate. And I'm wondering if you contrast that level of efficiency where inbound leads are flowing freely versus the scrappiness, the gritty, creative, industrious, entrepreneurial grind that is being at a startup, the point I'm trying to bring up is self-sourced versus inbound. And when you have such a healthy, robust pipeline of inbound versus what it took to erect this thing out of nothing. Well, when we talk about inadvertently developing, we'll say complacency in sellers who go to these big monolithic tech companies, the Salesforce, the Oracles, the brand established, I don't know, Octas now of the world. What would you say to sellers who have the benefit, the luxury of a marketing machine and product market fit and established brand with the need to still grind to cultivate self-source? Talk to us about that. Yeah, look, dude, there's beauty in the grind. Like I talk about this with my leadership and with the sellers. Um, this is where like the best memories are made. It hurts the most. It's like yeah. learning. It's really hard. But that's where, I mean, that's where the beauty, that's where like diamonds get made, get foraged. And the people that you do that with early on in a startup, you'll see them again and or you'll continue to worry. It's a special bond. Like it becomes a really special because you've gone through that the fire together for lack yeah. of a better term. Yeah. Um, and you know, for, for like, for me, that, 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 that's the building of a great organization is then, and we, that's exactly what we had to do when, uh, when in my, in a few, most of my previous roles. And so you come in and, and you just start grinding. I mean, you put together outreach and tools that you can use that'll help, um, ease the burden on that. And then you're just consistently like, trying to build out ways and the way that we look at it is from a value perspective is like, how can we get someone's interest enough to spend a few minutes with us that we can, you know, we can hit on something that's really valuable to them. Like what's important to them and how do I get that across in a met? Now it's so hard to get someone live. It's like, how do I get that across in a way that'll catch their attention? So they'll just give me three, five more minutes. And then within that three to five more minutes, how can I get them to give me a half an hour or, you know, in the old days, we would usually meet for an hour. Now everything's 30 minute sprints. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's evolved as we've gotten uh, more mature with technology and the world shifted into much more of a digital workspace. Um, and so, but I'll tell you, like, you know, you've, it, I, I don't know a better way to say it than like, that is where, the like the, we really establish what it means to to build a great organization and and where the 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 foundations built on character and some of the things that because w- when you have a great inbound motion that that's awesome even when you do I I still force outbound it's mm-hmm. a good muscle and you should flex it like at, at every point yeah. because you never know when a competitor is going to show up or your market's going to shift and you're going to need to know how to do that that's why I also like. Hiring people that have been SDRs before, like I was an SDR um, mm-hmm. when I started my career. I always knew that when the chips were down as a as an AE, I could go start banging the phone or figure out ways to generate my own leads. Um, and so I, there's different techniques. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Just showing up um, is was a, was probably my biggest advantage and the thing yeah. that we use the most 
uh, as I'm a leader. Like 50% of it is just showing up, figuring out a way to get there and show up. When you talk about where Okta stood at the time of your departure in 2018 and where Drata is now, and you're referencing, oh my God, where the steel and the iron of this startup is forged in the grit and the grind and celebrating that that pressure produces diamonds. Well, the indicators that you have at Drata or even those early days at Okta, like, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we, we've got something. I mean, they're giving us 30 minutes versus now all the telemetry and all the indicators you can get from the likes of an outreach or a revenue intelligence platform. Walk us through what some of those KPIs are that give you the confidence tonight, irrespective of where you are in that continuum from startup to established enterprise. What's telling you, hey, we're on the right track here. Do you have any KPIs or tools that give you that mission control cockpit? Look, man, I'm a pretty simple guy. So I'm not looking for like when it comes to metrics, it's like how much activity are you having okay. on a daily, weekly basis? How's that uh, activity transitioning into suspects or prospects? And then with those prospects, how many of those are you able to pre-qualify? And then how do you qualify those into the pipeline? We're pretty um, we're pretty well thought through or I've come from a pretty um, formal sales process. So if you can get a qualified deal into the sales process and run it through, yeah. um, you can usually qualify it at such a point where you can say, okay, what are my qualification rates to close? And if I can understand how, like, how much activity I have, how much I can get into the pipeline, the percentage of that pipe that I can bring to close, I can, those are kind of my base KPIs on a daily, weekly basis with a rep as a, as a frontline leader. With technology pushing the boundaries, or at least allegedly pushing the boundaries, AI giving you predictive modeling to a scientific level of accuracy that historically wasn't possible, I'm wondering, when you hear all that, does it reek of mumbo jumbo and do you just want to stay in the fundamentals or does some of it have any credence? No, man, I learn every day in this job. I think like, and I think AI for real, it's legit. It's finally legit. It used to be like, I'd say we used to talk about the cloud this way 10 years yeah. ago. It's like, there's so much, I used to say the cloud is nebulous. It means so many things to so many people. And that AI has been like that for the last, you know, three or four years as it's really started to come into our professional lives. But it now it has footholds. Like you have to have an AI strategy and that goes the same for systems and like as a leader, what are you going to use to make yourself and your teams most productive and be able to do it at scale in a way that it gets you there as fast <laughs> as you possibly can and at the highest level of quality so that when you get there, like you're ready and, and you, you, you're, you're ready for that moment and you're ready for what comes next in that moment. Got it. With all the complexity that comes with the equation of selling in 2023, you're bombarded with a lot of different distractions. Maybe AI is something that you have to now have a position on. And then you also have to have a position on PLG. And you have to have all of these different thoughts that are distracting you from what are these fundamental principles that have made you so consistently successful. And I use that disclaimer because I loved your bit in talking to John McMahon about never losing sight of the importance of maintaining simplicity, especially at your level. And I'm wondering... When do you ever catch yourself like, oh, we're starting to get a little too complex. We're starting to get a little too cute. We've over-rotated into adding more convoluted dimensions to our process. What tells you, slow down, Adam, bring it back down to the fundamentals. Let's simplify. What are those things that keep you grounded when understandably you are being ripped in a thousand directions? Yeah, man, I go back on now at this point, I go back to the things that I've done before that I'll yeah. stop myself and say, 
okay, what would I do at this point before and what worked and what didn't? Because I, in the early days, I was copycatting guys like John McMahon and other great leaders that I had worked for and saying, look, I worked for us, right? So I knew the playbooks and yeah. I'd, I'd been, because I'd run them on the floor and I did them as a first line manager and then as a second line leader. And there's some skill sets that you need to have inherently that go beyond the playbook that requires some great mentorship and, and things like that, um, that, that, that help make you better. But like, for me, it was like, you know, looking at the situation that I've been in and, and looking at the, the great leaders that came before me yeah. and then applying those thoughts to the things that I do, that I do now. And as I grow as a leader, like I have to, like you just said it, like I try to keep things simple. Like I, I, it's great. I have a, a great partner that just joined Drada named Sydney Sloan. She's the CMO here. Um, and she's been on board now for like 10 weeks. And it's awesome to have her because the first thing that she came in, like in our second meeting as a leadership team, she's like, uh, focus is my new favorite F word. And I was like, Sydney, that's freaking brilliant. Like, I was like, that is and she's been saying it for a while, but when she walked in and said it for me, like with the coming, you get so distracted. You can try to yeah. go do so many different things at one time and you just become decent at them. It's like pulling it back into focus and, mm. and what you can do really well and going back to your front and saying like with all this AI, which by the way, in the sales world, isn't, is it like for me, the tools that I use, they're still like evolving. It's real, but it's, it's nothing like blows my mind where I go, gosh, with that, I wouldn't have to be here or I wouldn't have to have that person here. It's more of a crutch. It, it validates the instincts or the things that I'm seeing or invalidates it if I have questions on certain things, but it's not evolved to the point in, in my world where it's, it's a reliable source without having to do my own inspection. Awesome. The Sydney line about focus being her new favorite F word is a fantastic segue into our next question and, and the last one. And it's this, you ask all of our guests, on reveal. And I think this is a perfect sort of door to open with you, which is Adam, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? We know that right now Sydney's focused in focus, but for you to encapsulate sales in one word, what would it be? Success. Say more. Look, I think like you have got to want it. You've got it. And if you want it, it's there. The great thing about sales, it's like the great democratizer. It's like everybody gets the same shot. And if you want it, I don't care if you went to Harvard or you went to Chico State or like I love Chico Staters, by the way. I've hired a ton of them. Um, if you want it, you get in this game. You want to be successful. You make your own success. You define your own success, especially in software. Like I, I would take that back to say software sales because that's where I come from. I don't know how to you know sell you encyclopedias or healthcare, things like that. But for people that are in this game, like if you want it, go get it. And if you don't think you can, like go talk to somebody that has and go find a mentor because like nobody gives you a shot. At, like we earn it every single, you earn it every single day in these jobs. And I commend everybody that takes this, this role on in this, in this industry, because it ain't easy. Like it's going to be hard fought and, that we look for people that are tough, that are competitors, that have wherewithal, that are smart, that are coachable, because there's, there's highs and lows in this game. But if you want to be successful and you want like the true American dream of what you can go do as, as a role in your life and your family and things like go be a seller and give it all you got. And 
you can be highly, you know, it's all about success. I love that way to dismount the episode. I'm thinking back to a soundbite I overheard you deliver on a different episode, which was you can meet or make your quota by $1 on December 31st. And it could be the happiest day of your life. Just this, this high, this ecstasy that you couldn't even imagine. And then you could alternatively miss your quota by $1 on December 31st. And the most like profound sorrow and tragedy. And in what other capacity could you find such extremes that are a dollar apart and your honesty and candor, Adam, that for you, if you have that tenacity, if you have that grit, if you have that hunger, the opportunity abounds. And yet we shouldn't sugarcoat it. That I think from the outside looking in, we say, Adam has been the CRO of Octa. Now he's the CRO of Drata. He was the president of Classy. Like, God, life must, life must be great for Adam. And I just so value your honesty that you've gotten the snot kicked out of you and your teeth kicked in. But because you have that fire in your belly, you still get up every day and you go after it. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems as though in spite of all that strife and struggle, the journey has been worth it. Would you say that's the case? Yeah, look, I'm back in it. So I'm back at driving. Um, And like, it's not, it wasn't easy. I was doing advisory work and board work and, that's not the same level of dedication and intensity and, and grit that Indrata is a young company. And so we're, and it's fun too. Like it's, it's a great Mike Tyson line that the CEO, Adam Markowitz, Indrata likes to use. And I love it too. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. And it's like, and that's what <laughs> you get a lot in these games, especially as a first line seller, like you show up and get ready for anything and study your opponent um, and come prepared because you get like one shot when you get in that room and it's a big opportunity and you need to take it and you need to come prepared. Well, Adam, this has been a, I'll just be brash, a shit ton of fun hearing from where you started as an SDR to all the way achieving this huge feat as a Sierra of Drada. If you check them out on LinkedIn, they're just lighting the world on fire. So I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for Sydney. I'm rooting for the entire Drada team. With that said, ladies and gents of Reveal, thanks so much for tuning in to Adam Aaron's talking a little bit about how you can overcome any tension between sales and marketing. But more broadly, what does it take to achieve a repeatable and yet simplified model for success? Thanks again, Adam, for being here. Thanks, Danny. It was fun. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io and like what you heard come on give us that five-star review on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you may listen